Formula Access. Today I got a guest of resilience, adversity. You know this is my language, this is my dig, you guys. Today we have J.M. Carrera. He is probably, arguably, the highest profile guest that we've had on the show and, and kind of call it Junior Formula. We, we got deep, you guys. This is not a superficial conversation. This is not, um, you know, tell me about your favorite car. Tell me about your favorite team. This was very, very deep into what makes him tick. This was very much what goes on in the mind of a racer chasing his dreams at the highest levels. This was, you know, what it was like going through, you know, a career ending accident and how he recovered from that. This was about, you know, how parents inspire their children and provide wisdom to their children to, um, to just look for the greater things in life and look for what is actually capable of uh, be, being accomplished. This is something that JM has just grabbed a hold of and just walks with a chip on his shoulder to see his dream out no matter what comes in front of him. You guys, this is an episode to watch. Sit back, relax, enjoy. Formula Access, welcome. We bring the people of motorsports to your doorstep, and today I bring you a really, really hometown special guest to the show. You guys have buried me with messages on bringing American guests in, and it is near impossible to find American guests in Formula One or in any part of the Formula series. And today I'm bringing J.M. Carrera to the show. JM, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. And like you said, it is difficult to, to find sometimes Americans in, in, in this uh, sport. So yeah, really cool to be here. I get messages all the time from people, which by the way, is, is a really weird feeling to like post stuff on social media. And then people start asking for specific guests, like really, really specific guests. And, um, and it's constantly, you got to find Americans in formula one. And I'm like, like, I don't have, I don't have people hunting personalities for this. You know, I, I, uh, <laughs> I go on LinkedIn or I go on social media and find stuff and we connect it on TikTok. So, um, if I haven't told you yet, thank you for responding to that. Seriously. It's very, very rare. No, I mean. I'm sorry. It took it took a, a while. Um, I just started getting sort of active on on my TikTok, so I'm glad I did. I'm glad I did. I, I love doing um, podcasts. I, I feel like it gives a different perspective on on who I am as a person. Sometimes doing just quick interviews, the questions tend to be the same. Um, it gets a little bit repetitive. So, especially when I saw you were American, I was just as surprised as you were probably to find that there was an American driver. So. I was like, yep, let's, uh, let's do it. It sounds like fun. Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny. Cause the, you know, all the analytics were always, you know, 70, 80, 90% American. And now they're all over the place. And like Dublin, Ireland is the number one city 
on any of my platforms, which is interesting. I mean, I've had James Rowe on the show. He's from Ireland. Um, had a couple of people from Aston Martin on the show from Ireland as well. Maybe that's where it came from. But apparently, we're a big deal over there. And uh, I would have never, I would have never guessed or, or pegged that because the U.S. is kind of where I want my number one audience to be. And uh, and I'm hoping that one day we hear the uh, the national anthem on the top step of the podium. And uh, and and you're part of that, so. That would be awesome. Yeah, uh, interesting uh, thing about about Ireland. I know. I mean, obviously, the following there of F one is is quite big. Um, I think my largest audience, or one of my largest audiences, are is the UK as well. So I, I think that that maybe includes uh, Ireland. Not sure, but uh, lot lots of fans over here. And uh, like you said, yes, it would be amazing to to have more American drivers in in Formula One. And uh, if, if I can be the the one with the <laughs> the, the the top place and, and and listening to the the anthem, that would be pretty cool. So. Hopefully, hopefully you can be there to, to, to see it as well. <laughs> I, <clears throat> I'm a big adversity guy. So for me, it's champions are born and bred from adversity and challenges. And, you know, you, you honestly have a really, really powerful story of just resilience and ad overcoming adversity. And, you know, we can get into that later, but it's, to me is the difference maker between somebody that wants to be a formula one driver and that will be a formula one driver. And it's just a matter of time in my opinion. So I'm rooting for you. Um, but for all of our audience, you know, tell them who you are, what you do, what are you doing today? Yeah. So I'm JM. Um, I'm an American formula two driver, uh, going up, up the ladder, been racing for a long time. And, uh, yeah, that's that's my season this year, F two, the the step just before the the, the maximum category, which is F one, and uh, trying to get there. So, for the majority of the audience that are from America, we have the road to Indy here, as the stepping, as the I guess call it the stepping stones to IndyCar, the big show. As you take that step towards formula one just describe the differences between you know f4 f3 f2 and then so on to f1 like what what are the differences in series or car or handling so each um each step of the way is sort of designed to teach drivers the basics and and, and kind of groom them into being able to to drive and be competitive in, a, in the top category which is formula one um, the, the first step would be formula four. That's what you do after go-karts. So for people that don't know, we usually 99% of us start with karting. Um, I'm talking like professional karting, not like your local K1, uh, K1 speed. Although some drivers start at the K1 and then they move to professional go-karts. Um, then we do the step up to formula four, which is the, the smallest and slowest single seater, like formula car. You get introduced there to a little bit of, of downforce. You know, the car has small wings. You start to understand how that works. Then you do the step up. A Formula 4 has around 180, 160 to 180 horsepower. Then you'll do the step up to Formula 3 Regional, which is a step in between Formula 4 and Formula 3. And that's uh, 200, 
40 horsepower car, a little bit more downforce, slightly bigger and heavier. Then you go up to Formula 3 uh, International, the World Championship, which is a 400 horsepower car. Quite a significant amount of, of downforce, bigger brakes, bigger car as well. Starts to get quite heavy physically as well as well to drive. You start pulling some series Gs. And then the final step before Formula 1 is what I'm doing, which is Formula 2. And that's a 620 horsepower uh, car. It uh, produces a few thousand uh, kilograms of, of uh, downforce. It's uh, pretty quick. Carbon brakes pulls, I think, around 4 Gs in, 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 in the fast corners. And it's a really a perfect um, preparation for Formula 1. So in our categories, we already have to go through tire degradation, tire management, a lot of the, the challenges that Formula 1 drivers face in F1. We are introduced to them as well in, in our categories. That's why you see a lot of rookies step up to F1 from Formula 2 and be competitive. And uh, obviously our categories are very, very competitive. They make for great racing. There's only 22 Formula 2 drivers in the whole world. So it's not like there's a ton of us. You know, it, It's already pretty hard to make it to, to F2. And uh, yeah, that's... I think that's one of the best explanations I've done in such a short amount of time. <laughs> I'm going to clip that. <laughs> I clip it for you and send it to you. Thank you. Okay, so I've I've never been able to ask a driver this before, but what what does downforce feel like? Okay, so mm -hmm. like when you finally get that added to your car, like do you feel it sink down? I mean, I only know from my son's racing sim like what that doesn't even feel like anything it just yeah to the ground and doesn't slide off but yeah so what does it I would, I would say in terms of actual physical feeling um all of a sudden a car with high downforce can do things that um are not they don't seem physically possible like the physics don't quite make sense you know so how late you can break into a corner how how aggressive and how fast you can be in the high speed and the car just sticks to the ground um it it doesn't add up for us uh, at least now with experience i have downforce I, I am able to manage the downforce i count on the downforce i trust the downforce fully and it's sort of like it becomes a part of your element when you're driving it's it's natural but I remember the first times in Formula 4, even if it was a low downforce car, but the downforce is still pretty significant. Um, you have to build this sort of trust and feeling for it. And, 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 and all of a sudden you're doing corners at, you know, 150 miles an hour. And, and you're like, how, how am I still on the track? You know, it's, it's pretty, pretty crazy. And, and in general, driving a fast car, Formula 2 or Formula 1, it's like driving a roller coaster that you can control. That's the sort of you know g-force that that you're pulling it's really intense because you've driven a formula one car too right you tested for lotus and alpha right for, for alpha romeo yeah in 2019 i, I did a, an f1 test with them uh, so yeah i i know what it feels like and it's it's pretty insane <laughs> <laughs> what i mean what's the difference is it terrifying i mean no no it's, it's actually very relatively easy to drive the, the the formula one car it's it's like way easier to drive than a formula two a for, like imagine like a formula two is basically like a 
tuned up Supra with, you know, sketchy suspension and uh, no power steering. Uh, and, and you, you know, you're giving this car and somebody tells you, you know, you have to go as fast as you possibly can every single lap and survive. And then a Formula One, you basically sit down in a Ferrari with power steering, air conditioning, and uh, the car is just so fast, but you're so comfortable inside. That's that's the best way I can I can describe it. Like F2, you're just fighting with a car, oversteering like crazy. Uh, it's much more physical because you have no power steering in Formula 2. So the steering wheel okay. is incredibly heavy. Um, whereas when you go to the F1, it, it's a better designed car, you know, it, it's a car that has cost hundreds of millions of dollars to, to be developed. And you can feel that when you drive, the way the car behaves, the feedback it gives you is so clear, it's so easy to feel. Um, the, the steering wheel is much lighter because of the power steering. Um, it's still bloody fast, you know, in the corner sometimes. The main issue you have in the F1 is like your neck. Like, it, it, your neck doesn't know what's happening to it. You, you hit the brakes and your head just wants to, to go down. Um, but but the rest is a much nicer experience than than an F two. So what what is the F one plan for you? Do you have a plan in place? I do I do. So I I want to do this twenty twenty three season in in F two and repeat one more year in, in in the category and try to go for the championship or or at least to get the license the super license points that I need to then be eligible to get a Formula One seat. Um, and at the same time, there's a whole uh, sort of commercial plan to, to find partners and sponsors racing, uh, as we were speaking about before. It's, it's, a, it's a business, and uh, yep. there's a, a lot of that uh, that, that matters when, when the time comes to go into Formula One, and I have a plan on that end as well. Um, there's a huge American market that needs to be filled so many fans coming in from the US and they want drivers that they can cheer on uh, too. So I am hoping to to be one of those drivers and to appeal to to, to them and uh, hopefully be the person that can represent them. I mean, you got to have sponsors coming out of everywhere. I mean, an American driver, given the last, call it five years of Drive to Survive, Miami bred, I mean, you've got to, I mean, I know you're not from Miami, but that's where you reside. But like, you basically check all the boxes off as a marketable person. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad I'm glad you think so. And uh, if you have any sponsorship uh, ideas, I'm very open because uh, I have some great sponsors, uh, some yeah. incredible American companies. But it's not easy at all. You know, like every year. Uh, finding the budget for for Formula Two is is obviously a, a struggle, and uh, we put a lot of work and effort into it, and we have done a, a good job, but it's you know we're we're not like fighting off sponsors that are just throwing money at us. That's definitely not not the case. It's it's a lot of work. It's just because you haven't done my show yet. That's why. <laughs> well, I I hope. Hey, if if this if this changes things, I'm gonna bring you to every race uh, from from now on. You can. You can be my commercial manager. We'll find you a a place for sure. Because uh, yeah, it's it's a big thing. It's a big thing, and um, it's not a nice feeling as as a driver. You know, when you're nearing the end of the season, the teams are getting filled up for the year after, and you're still trying to find the budget to be able to have a seat, and you have no idea what your future is going to look like. 
it's pretty stressful. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, I guess it's part of the game. What, okay. So what is the, the call it value proposition and, and, and junior formula? I mean, formula two is basically formula one when it comes to, I mean, you're on F1 TV. I mean, you have your own kind of call it drive to survive, um, show, what what does a sponsor get at that level? Mm. So, Formula Two, in my opinion, is heavily undervalued for for yeah. what it is, and, and the reason for that, again, this is my opinion, is because in F one we have seen in the last ten years, but especially the last five, you know, with Drive to Survive, teams have turned a huge focus into commercializing the teams marketing, social media, etc. And that change hasn't arrived in F2 yet. So teams are still a lot more, uh, um, I want to say traditional, you know, like run by old school uh, team owners that have had these teams for many, many years. And they're sort of old school in, in the marketing. They don't understand why they need marketing, why that is important, how they could make money from that. Um, and, and that affects us as drivers as well, because unfortunately, there's also this market of drivers that are pretty good and they just have quite a lot of family money and they, they just come in and they pay the budgets and it's not an issue for them. Um, and that kind of destabilizes the, the way things work. Uh, so, so I think F2 as a, as a whole has, has a product that, it, yeah, it, it's going to explode and, and it's going to be valued uh, much better than, than what it is now. So for me personally, I, I try to show that to, to my sponsors, show them. You just have to look at the numbers, um, social media followings, TV presence. I, I can sh send you a deck later like with, with the specifics. I, can't, I don't remember off the top of my head, but we're talking about millions and millions of views uh, every, every race weekend that we're there, um, which sort of compares to a category like IndyCar, which is basically a business that runs itself. So F2 should be able to do the same, right? It gives the same value to sponsors. So we show them that. Then a lot of it has to do also with my image. Um, I, I have this philosophy that finding a sponsor and signing a sponsor is the first step. But mm -hmm. just as important and difficult is to keep them on board and to make sure that they get what they want and that they're happy. Because I, I don't want to be a driver that I can sign a sponsor for a year and then, oh, thank you for the money, you know, see you when I see you. And after a year, obviously, they're not going to renew. So we work very hard on bringing them opportunities. So what, what companies find with us um, is a mix of you want the image, you want the recognition of being in a car. Sure, we'll put you in the car, we'll give you the image. You want me as an ambassador for your brand, for a product, you want to sell watches, you know, maybe I fit that, that criteria and you like how I work, we'll work on that. Other, other people, they just want to be involved in racing. They're passionate. They want to go to races. They want to enjoy it. Uh, or they want to do networking. You know, there, there's a lot of high net worth in, individuals with sort of high-end um, businesses selling yachts, uh, private planes. And they, they sponsor us to, to be able to be there in this very exclusive uh, world where they can find more clients. And actually, the, the ROI is... Uh, incredible for them because they're just there and selling yachts and, and, and planes and being involved with with the people with money so you you really need to find what what clicks on each different case it's it's a bit of a of an art to to find the, the right compromise for everybody 
Because you're a brand too, right? I mean, can yeah. you go in public and, I mean, do you get, I mean, you're in the UK, uh, you get bombarded by fans? No, we're, we're not at that level yet. I do get recognized quite quite a bit, especially in cities that uh, are, are big in F1. So London, I, I get recognized uh, now and then. Today, I got recognized in, in the tube <laughs> with, with my friend. He thought it was really funny. Um, and we are a brand. And that's something that I've also had to learn um, the last few years. Like, you got to... You gotta stay true to who you are, to to be organic and connect with your audience, but you you gotta manage your time and and you know what, what do you do with with a lot of caution because especially nowadays with social media it's so easy to say the wrong thing, do something that'll piss off one of your sponsors. So you you gotta be quite smart about it and and just have good people around you that that can guide you. So, do you? I mean, do you speak corporately? For your sponsors do you invite them to races is it all of the above i mean what are you providing them all of the above whatever it is they need so i have sponsors that want me to come and speak at internal corporate events uh team building motivation um other sponsors for example do uh, gifts for for their top employees you know so whoever performs best gets to go with jm to a certain race and spend the day with with him at the track um, a lot of them want to send their VIPs to the races and, and we, we try to give them experiences that money can buy unless you're sponsoring me and you're part of my team you can't just go out there and buy two formula two passes and have a driver explain to your VIPs what each button in the steering wheel does that, that, that doesn't exist so we right. offer that sort of experiences quite often as well yeah, yeah no I've, I've talked about that quite a bit on my show is I um I went to St. Pete last year and mm-hmm. um, and got to go hang out with Andretti and hospitality and and honestly like did more business my wife and I at eating lunch you know just trading business cards what do you do what do you do everybody's like I need marketing or I need this or like oh my mm-hmm. gosh you have a podcast like you know it just and then commercially you know for for my company as well you know we we found an acquirer at at that event as well. So you're kind of, you, you can kind of dis- disguise the, uh, the sale and your passion, you know, it's kind of like, well, let's talk racing, but, but just jam some work in there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I think at the end of the day, most companies and, and individuals involved in sponsoring racing, they love the sport as well, you know, and, and, and it's part of their identity. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know if you're the same as me. For me, the best holiday is a holiday that I can go see something that I love and also do a bit of business and meet really cool people. You know, I'd rather do that than be sitting on a beach, like drinking a margarita. That doesn't really <laughs> do it for me, at least not at this age. I, I'm still like, uh, you know, I hustle a lot. So, um, yeah, I see I see a lot of that. And I've seen like incredible business connections be made. Like a, a lot of racing is also run by B2B. Uh, yep. You know, you'll get... A company that maybe the owner wants to sponsor you, but he doesn't want to actually put money on the table. So you'll tell him, hey, no worries. Like, who are your suppliers? What what business are you in? We can find suppliers that want to come in and do B2B. And in exchange of getting your business, they'll sponsor me for you, you know? And that, that sort of stuff happens all the time. Um, you, you just have to put it together. <laughs> oh, 
and you you come from an entrepreneurial family so you understand you know the value of being a connector a hundred percent yeah I, I was lucky that my my dad when, when i was coming up through the categories um he never let me have it too easy he made me work for it and, and he had me involved in in negotiations contract signings from from an early stage he's also involved me in he, he's a businessman and he's involved me in his businesses as well so you know sometimes he'll take me to a board meeting with him and since i was like 14 just sitting there like in the beginning i didn't know what was happening but that shaped me to to understand really the business side of of uh of racing a lot more than most drivers and that helps massively because like we said before, I am the brand. So if I can understand what a business is looking for, how it works, um, I can shape sort of my program to, to fit that, that business um, pretty well. So I, I, and I, I like it. I, I really do enjoy it. Even like I told you before, when I retire, I know I'm going to do business even if I don't need the money because I, I find it so interesting. It's competitive like, like racing is. Uh, you know, it, it gets my emotions going. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good and bad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You you give me hope. Seriously, I you know I I take my kids and I involve them in and our businesses as well. And you know, I just sometimes I sit back and wonder like, are they taking any of this away or, you know, they, they are for for sure, a hundred percent. It's it's the best thing that that my my parents could have done with me. Love it. So what, speaking of parents, what is your origin story? Like, how did you get started in this whole wild journey? So my, my parents, my, my dad was born in Boca Raton, so Florida. My mother was born in Ecuador. Um, dad grew up uh, part of his life in Ecuador, part of his life in, in the U.S. Uh, met my mother in Ecuador and they had me there. So I, I grew up. I was born in, in Quito, in, in the capital of Ecuador, grew up there for the first 10 years of my life. And then we moved to Miami um, together as a family. And I started racing in Ecuador because my dad was, uh, we were always big Formula One fans. And my dad started racing rally when he was like 35, um, just as a bit of a hobby. And he started meeting people in, in the motorsports world in, in Ecuador and um I, I kind of grew up around engines and gasoline. So I had a, my first motorcycle when I was three years old. Uh, we, we had a farm. We would go there every weekend and I would just ride around the whole farm in, in my motorcycle, like full speed. Um, and actually, one of my dad's friends from Raleigh, he had a karting team and he came to our farm one day and uh, he, he told me the story. I don't remember this, but he said one day at 6 a.m. he just got woken up by like a little 50c motorcycle just driving around in the backyard of the farm and he looked outside and it was just me like going flat out uh, for, for like two hours non-stop and he told my dad like hey why don't you take uh, JM to, to the go-kart track maybe he will like go-karts as well so my dad was like sure we'll try and, and we went and man I, I jumped in that go-kart and I was like I never want to see a motorcycle again like this is my thing I felt so good it was super cool and uh, I started training. Uh, I started going twice after school to to, to drive in, in the local karting track. Um, after a few months, I started competing in Ecuador. And by the end of that year, uh, I, I was national champion. And clearly, like people started noticing that I was talented. I, I, I was very good. So then when we moved to Miami, it uh, ended up being the best thing that could have happened to my career because 
I started racing locally in, 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 in Florida, started doing really well and, and kind of started escalating upwards as well. Um, in 2013, I won the national championship in, in karting and I won that in, in the American national championship. So I got a mm-hmm. ticket to go do the world championship later that year representing Team USA. And uh, I ended up winning the world championship out of nowhere. And that really was the pivotal moment in my career where I got offered a, a contract to go to and, and race professionally in Italy. That was with Lotus. Uh, so I think you, you read about that because you mentioned Lotus before. So I was yep. being part of the Lotus uh, junior team and, and doing all the European and world championships in, in Europe. Um, and that's that's where it all took off. When did you know, like, this wasn't just for fun, that this is like your dream? And it was my dream since since the beginning, since my early days training at the go-kart track, because I, I grew up watching Formula One. So one of my, my heroes back then was uh, Fernando Alonso and, and Michael Schumacher. Um, so I always thought that was really cool. And I guess when I started racing go-karts, I was like, okay, I can be them. You know, they started like this. So why can't I do the same? So that was my dream. I mean, I had tunnel vision from the beginning. I must say at that age, it was very naive of me. Of course, I was seven years old. I was convinced I was going to be a Formula One driver. But the stage where it really started to seem feasible and, and sort of my life, instead of me being a normal kid and racing on the side, and my life sort of became racing, and then on the side I was a kid sometimes. That was in 2013 when I won that uh, that world championship. That's where it took off. And, and like I said, I moved to, to Italy, um, did homeschool for a bit, and then boarding school, then homeschool again. And basically nothing else mattered apart from, from my season and, and, and whatever I was racing in, in that year. When, when did you get your, did you start out with your own cart or did you start out in like a rental league? I started out directly in like professional go-karts. Um, I don't think back then there were even rental go-karts in Ecuador. The, the motorsport community is quite small there, but I didn't have my own go-kart. My, my dad's friend, he, he, he was lending us a, a little mini, mini cart. I even didn't have my first helmet until about a year into racing. So he was, I was using one of this guy's helmets, which was so big on me. Um, and the suit was borrowed as well. Like, uh, yeah, my, my dad always sort of made a point with me of not giving me like the nicest material, not buying me like the newest helmet. He was like, win a race, you know, if you win a race, I'll get you a new pair of gloves, but you, you gotta, you gotta give me something, you know, I'm not just going to go out there and, and by and there would be like this car kids that would come in, you know, with the latest engine, the latest car, like brand new, flashy, and they didn't even know how to drive. So me and my dad were always making fun of, of them because I would go out there with my old uh, <laughs> borrowed helmet and just beat everyone. So yeah, it was quite funny. <laughs> I heard I heard the advice. By the way, I like your dad so much already. Um, <laughs> you like. You don't dress like a champion or get all the stuff of a champion to become a champion. You know, it's like, I, you know, I, my son used to play soccer a long time ago and it was like, he had to get the latest and greatest like cleats and balls and all that stuff. And I was like, Hey man, you know, like we'd go to Guatemala a couple of times a year, you know, and you'd see kids kicking around like a 
like a tape, like a trashed tape, tape soccer ball and would just yeah. crush all the local suburban kids that came with us, you know? And yeah, 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 like, yeah. yeah they, they don't have the latest and greatest, but look at that talent, you know? And yeah, I like, I like your dad. I, I like, I like people with means that teach their children the same lessons that they had to learn to achieve that level. I, you know, I do the same thing with my kids. It's like, Hey, you, you want a car? Go get a job, you know, yeah. go work for it, Dave, and then I'll help you. But yeah. besides that, so what, what qualities have you taken away from having good parents or entrepreneurial business minded parents in your family? Like, what are you taking away from that? Um, I think one of the biggest ones is just a lot of hard work. Um, you know, I, I, when, when I was growing up, my mom was working, um, she has her own company as well. My dad was working too. So that was the only environment that, that I, that I knew. Um, they were great parents, spent a lot of time with me, you know, but I just thought everybody was like that. And then and as I grew up and became an adult, I realized like a lot of people don't really, that's not yeah. their, 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 their reality, you know, they, they don't do that. So, um, I'm really glad that I, I saw that because that's just how I am. Otherwise I feel uneasy. Um, then I, I think, um, I have a good eye for, for business opportunity. And, and understanding people. So I, I, I like to think I take good quality, the, the better qualities from my mom and the better qualities from my dad and combine them. So my mom is a very, um, very friendly, loving person. Everybody just loves my mother. Yeah. Uh, so I, I take that from her. Like I'm, I'm very good with people. I'm easy to talk to. Um, I'm, I'm, I would say quite emotionally intelligent. Like I don't get, I don't get angry easily. Like, uh, you know, I'm just like doing my own thing. And on the other hand, my dad is just, he's just brilliant business-wise. Like he, he sees opportunities. He, he will find gold where, where there is none and, and uh, have a good vision for, for long-term um, plans. So I, I take that from him. So yeah, uh, I mean, I'm still very young in, in this and I will just get better at it as well. Uh, business is, is like a sport, you know, the longer you do it, the more experience you have, things just start coming easier to you but um yeah i i I take a lot from both of them you you mentioned earlier in a comment about the sacrifice of being a kid like were you able to be a kid um i was i was able to be a kid i was not able to be a teenager so much um yeah yeah uh that that point, you know, at 15, 16, 17, when you're going through through puberty, you're becoming a a little man, basically. Um, I think there's a, a normal process that every kid goes through, and and they mess up, and you know, it's the first time you you have a drink, it's the first time you kiss a girl, you know, that that sort of stuff. That uh, I. I kind of missed out on that in, in a way uh or at least not i didn't do it in the, the traditional way which was like at school like you know when i was in, in high school i was always sort of the outsider because i was missing more than half of the school year uh in, in the weekends my friends were inviting each other to their houses and i was out racing or i was training or i just didn't have a lot of friends so i was at home alone <laughs> because nobody knew what i was doing 
Um, and then eventually at one point, my, my dad, um, made me decide, like, that's, that's another thing with my parents. They never forced me to, to race. Like they couldn't care less if I raced or not. You know, they were like, if you want to race, you got to earn it and, and then we'll support you. If you don't want to race, go be a kid, uh, just have A's and, and then you can do what you want. You know, it's all good. So that, I think that helped me kind of build this fire inside of me where I knew that if I wasn't the one pushing for it, they, they didn't care. You know, it's not that my dad had dreams of being a driver and he was living his dreams through me, which you see quite often in, in a lot of parents. Um, I'm sure you know. So, um, yeah, as a kid, I, I, I sort of had to decide by myself of, okay, like, which way do I want to go? Do I want to take the, the traditional way and, uh, you know, go out partying and be stupid or do I want to sacrifice that and, 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 uh, try to become professional right now? It seems easy, but when you're that age, you're immature, it was like a battle, you know, like I, I at some points I tried to do both as well and it obviously didn't work. You know, you compromise on, on, on both sides. So, um, yeah, it, it took a bit of time and, and maturity until I got the flow of that, uh, right. I actually, I love that analogy of being able to be a kid, but not a teenager. I, I have two teenagers. So I, I, I get this whole world that you're talking about. I, I, I was a teenager at one point in my life, but to see it outside of that is a different experience, but that's a, that's an amazing analogy of the sacrifice that you're making to, to chase this dream. And honestly, I, I think it's admirable that you have the wherewithal and the emotional intelligence to, to know what that means and to understand what it takes to, to chase it. But thank you. Of all the time that you've had in motorsport, I mean, you're, you're basically there. What's been your pinch me moment of, of your career so far? <laughs> um, well, ba basically it's not there. There's still a lot of, of work to do. Um, and and I, I keep myself very honest in, in that. Um, being in F2 is, is a privilege. We are very few, but we haven't made it yet. So, um, yeah, I, every year I just work harder than, than the previous one. But I think first, I'm going to give you three, three good ones. Um, first one was when I won the, the karting world championship. That was like, holy smokes. Like I was not expecting it. Um, I was, I think the first American to do it since the 1970s as well. Uh, so it was like, wow, uh, I could not believe it. I could not sleep for three days. No joke. I, I did not sleep for three days. The second one, um, when, when I got signed to F2 2019, uh, it was a tough process. There was sort of like a shootout between a few drivers to get the seat. There was just one seat left in, in the team. And um, actually, they they called my manager. Uh, this was like a week after. So they were analyzing and deciding. They called my manager. My manager called my dad. And then my dad called me down to the kitchen and... Uh, he was like, yeah, no, you didn't get it. And I was like, just cussing out. And he just started bursting of laughter. And he was like, you got it. And I was like, oh, my God. And uh, yeah, I, I partied that night with my dad. Like, uh, it looked like we had won a race because we were just so, so happy. Um, and then the third one was when I drove 
the Formula One car in 2019, my first F1 test. My family was there, and my parents, which made it really special because they had to sacrifice a lot for this too. Like families are are just as involved as as, as the actual oh, racers yeah. themselves. So it was uh, sort of like um, a little tick. Like okay, we we we're not. I'm not an F1 driver, but I can say I drove a Formula One car in a test, and uh, that was a, a big accomplishment for for us. Okay, I'm trying to figure out how to word this. When you're in a Formula One test, I mean, you're in the big show, you're around the team. Does that give you the access to like start that conversation of like what this journey looks like? Do you sit with the people at Alpha or do your, do your handlers, are they sitting with them? Like, you know, how do we... How do we connect the dots here? How do we get from Formula Two to Formula One? I mean, yeah, is that happening, or is it just a showcase? Um, no, th there is some of that happening. Um, everybody sort of knows what is what is needed. You know, it, it's the, the way I see it is things have to start happening at the right moment in the right time, and when you're starting to approach the the possibility of becoming a contender for an F1 seat, that's when you, your management, start having those talks with certain teams. Like, what does this look like? What do they want? What do they think about you? And you start sort of trying to connect the dots. Um, at that moment in my F2, in, in my F1 test, there was a little bit of that. Like, I, I had a very clear goal. I was going pretty well in, in F2. Um, so yeah, we, we, we were definitely thinking uh, about that, but we were always very cautious as well to not divert any of our effort and attention from F2 because at the end of the day, you can dream of F1 all you want. If you don't perform in F2, you're not going to get that, that chance. So we were always just prioritizing F2. Um, but yeah, there, there were a bit of talks about it. And, and then obviously the accident happened and everything changed from, from one day to another. What is your goal of an F1 test? I mean, at the time it was Kimi, right? I mean, are you trying to beat his time? I mean, is that your goal? No, in, 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 that, in that test in particular, we used the, the last V8 engine uh, car that they had. Um, so it was just, uh, there were, it was me and another driver in the test. So I guess they were comparing the two of us a bit. They don't speak much about it. It's not like, okay, guys, we're going to give you uh, this amount of laps and whoever wins uh, gets the seed, you know, like, no. Nah. They, they, they play it down a lot and they just want you to be comfortable and, and, and confident. But of course, I was pushing like hell the whole time and uh, just yeah. really enjoying it. Um and and the team was was pretty impressed with what I, I, I like. It was a very successful test. I, I felt really confident in the car. I was putting the car on the limit uh, since since the beginning, and uh, yeah, it was it was a, a really good uh, thing to do. Also, because you're able to show uh, the F1 team, you know, they have all their engineers there evaluating you. You're able to show them what you can do, and that in the future, if you do position yourself for an F1 seat, having done a test with them previously, can make a big difference because they're like wait a second, this guy, this guy knows what he's doing. You know, he's tested with us and, and he's very good. So that was, that was my goal was impress 
obviously, don't crash the car. You don't want to crash the car in your first F1 test, definitely. Um, but just, you know, be professional, be open-minded, listen to them, learn, and, and try to impress. Yeah. Okay, here's where we go deep. What's the hardest lesson that you've learned in your career? Like, when when did the rubber meet the road mm. that you can just take away and just put it in your pocket for the rest of your life? That um, ego is your, your biggest killer. Um, and what I mean by that is it took me a long time and a lot of maturity to be able to actually accept and understand that there are a lot of drivers and kids out there that are more talented than me, that are better in many ways. Um, and unless you're able to put your ego aside and actually sit down and learn and grow from it, you're just limiting yourself. Um, that is that is a huge one. And, and that... I see top drivers uh, that have been or are in F1 that still haven't figured that out. Um, yeah, I mean, in business is the same. I'm sure you know. Yeah, yeah. You know if, yeah. if you if you sit down in, in a room and uh, you think automatically that you're the smartest person in the room, you know that that's not that's not a good thing. That that's uh, in the long term that's not gonna work out for you. And, and it's sort of the same as a driver. Uh, there, there's always going to be somebody that does that corner better than you, that manages their tires a little bit better than you. How you become really great and, and excel compared to the others is if you're just really good at almost everything. You know, the, the, you're never going to be the best at, at every single thing. So um, instead of kind of shutting down and being like, oh, no, it's impossible, you know, he's not better than me or whatever, you, you just sort of embrace that and actually take that as an opportunity. <laughs> What's your why? Why do you do this? Because it's different. Because you know, yes. I I I, I don't want I don't want the normal life. You know that, and yeah. that is something that I knew since I was born. Like, I just want to be different. I want to do things my way. Um, I I I am addicted to the adrenaline and and the you know the emotions that that it brings. Um. I'm sort of addicted to the lifestyle at this point because I've been doing it for so long. You know, the traveling and the intensity of, of it, um, it really gets me going. But yeah, it's just it's just so cool. I mean, it's it's different. You're you're you know, it, you only have one life, and uh, if I am lucky enough to be talented at, at this, to have had the opportunities that I've had so far, and to have made it this far. Um, I'm going to I'm going to keep going uh, as far as I can. So I I I obviously I don't want to like I don't want to beat a dead horse here and talk about the accident here but like How did you like okay so you you have this you know seemingly career ending accident and and most people's situation when and how did you decide, like, this is not going to stop me? You know, this is just basically, this is a short season. It's a setback. I don't care what people say. I don't care what doctors think. I'm going to go for this again. 
Um, when I came out of the coma and uh, sort of things started to miraculously kind of work out and uh, I would say when, when I was certain that I was going to survive, to, to put it shortly, that, that when, when I was not fighting for my life anymore, just for my legs and uh, my spine and everything else, but I knew I was going to have a life after that. That's when I told myself, okay, what, what do you want to do? What, what are you going to do the rest of your life? I, I always think ahead. I always need to have a goal, something I'm working towards. Um, and that's when I realized, you know, like the, the, this crash. Yeah, it's scary. It's, it's terrible. I wish I wasn't going through this. But it doesn't take away that, um, that fire, that passion that I have for the sport. It doesn't... Uh, it makes it almost even worse to quit right now, you know, after going through all of this, after sacrificing my, my whole life to, to the sport. And um, one really important thing that led me to this decision as well was I realized early on that I was going to need a lot of motivation to actually get through the whole rehabilitation process. And I couldn't think of a better motivation than to say something absolutely crazy like I'm going to race again. And everybody was going to tell me, like, no, you're not. And then I was going to prove everybody wrong two years later. So I was like, that's a perfect plan. Like, that's exactly what I'm going to do. Um, and, and that's when sort of my master plan uh, began. You know, I got to work and I, I literally planned the whole thing. Like, it was like this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to see this doctor, this treatment, uh, deal with, uh, obviously, you have unexpected stuff. But I, I will drive again. Yeah. That, that was, I was still in the hospital at that point. I have this like personal legacy answer and response. And, you know, I think a lot in business, I think people always ask the question about legacies and, you know, what makes you tick and whatnot. And, you know, one, one primary response that I have to that is, you know, I want my, my personal legacy to be that when all people thought that it couldn't happen or that I couldn't get through something that I, that I did, you know, and like that no one should ever doubt me or, you know, not think that I'm capable of something that I put my mind to. And I like, I'm hearing that the whole time that you're explaining the answer is like almost like that situation motivates you more than you were motivated before it's almost like that chip on your shoulder is just a is just a brighter hotter fire that gets created uh, maybe i'm wrong no but that, you're not that, in your head that's so. spot on that but i have a question for you like legacy when you think about your legacy is it once you're dead or while you're still alive i always i think i always evaluate that mm. you know i always keep a I always keep a professional legacy and a personal legacy and, you know, and I always try to be prepared to answer that question. That's, you know, in business, that's, that's how you kind of set somebody off really fast is like, if you're losing control of the conversation, you know, if you just say, you know, what is your legacy in life? Like, what do you want to be remembered by? Or how do you want people to, you know, view you? Nine out of 10 people can't answer that question like mm -hmm. that, you know, and mm -hmm. I think that 
you know, it really, when you can answer that question in a professional environment, it really like showcases who you are. Like you've actually thought of what you want to be when you grow mm -hmm. up, or you've thought what you want people to say when you're not around or when you're dead, yeah. you know? And I think that, that that's always important because when you get around the highest levels of business and you, you know, this from your parents, your people come at you for like, you know, they want, they want something that you have. They want wisdom. They want information or a formula or how you got where you got. And, you know, when you are a, a sponsor, when you are a leader or somebody, you, it's, you're motivated by people that have like thought like you have, you know, like I think as a, as a, as a business leader, having a race car driver come speak to a sales team about like that inner drive and that inner thing that gets you out of bed in the morning. And no matter what comes your way, whether it's a career ending crash or, you know, a bad day or whatever it is, it doesn't matter. You just get up and you do. And, you know, it doesn't matter what's going on in your life. And, and so when you ask that question and somebody can answer that in any situation, you kind of, oh, wow, okay, this person is different, yeah. you know? And I think that that connects people really fast when you can answer that. Keep that in your back pocket. That, yeah, no, that's, that's, uh, that's great advice. It's true. I, I, I connect with that. I just have never put it into the words of, yeah, what's your legacy? But that's essentially what, what it is. So, um, yeah, I think going back to what you said of having a chip on my shoulder, like that was literally how, how I felt. And when I feel like that is when I'm the most motivated, you know? Oh, so yeah. sometimes, um, even, even now, uh, or, or before the accident, I would purposely put a chip on my shoulder when I was like, I need to, you know, like I got to grind for this. So I'm going to, I would create fake enemies, you know, like I'm going to prove them wrong. Even if nobody was telling me I couldn't do it, I was like, I will prove them wrong. You know, I, that's sort of my personality. So, um, this, this, this was something that I needed and, and, and it, it was essentially what helped me get through it because it was, I knew it was going to be tough. I didn't think it was going to be that tough. The whole process was just so hard. But you've overcome it. You've. You made it back into a car, you made it into F3. You are now in F2. Like that's, is that, I mean, is that even a pinch me moment for you? I mean, you think about where you've been in the last, what, three years, four years? Yeah. Um, I mean. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> sort of crazy. It, it's not it's totally nuts it's totally nuts um uh, yeah that's that's why I, i'm i'm working on on a documentary because i want to i want to really tell my story i want people to see um the the deepest and darkest parts of, of this whole thing that nobody nobody knows except my family and my closest friends um because it, yeah it, it's really intense and um I sort of juggle two balls because on one hand, my story is incredible. Um, I, I think about the accident often. Uh, I, I take a lot of things that I've learned from this experience on my day to day, and it just has helped me become a happier and better person. But on the other hand, I am a driver again, 
and I need to have sort of have this tunnel vision mindset of like, I don't care what happened in the past, you know, like I'm just looking forward. So I, 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 I combine those two as, as best as I can. And depending on what I need in that moment, that's what I tap into. Um, but definitely sometimes I, I lose a little bit of, of perspective of, uh, you know, <laughs> two years ago, three years ago, I was in a wheelchair. I, you know, the doctors were laughing at me when I said I was going to drive again. Uh, and uh, now I'm here driving in Formula 2, which is possibly the second most competitive category in the world of, of racing. There's only 22 drivers. Um, yeah, that is, that is pretty wild when, when, when you put it that way. So, yeah. Hang your hat on that. Seriously. You can listen to this episode every time you uh, start to doubt yourself and realize, <laughs> crap, I'm something special here. I got some extra motivation and uh, I'm going to go for this thing. What, what advice do you have for young drivers? So when you, you know, you look, you've been in the karting days, you know, every kid on that track wants to be a professional race car driver and very few of them have not necessarily the talent, but the drive and the motivation to actually go do it. And what, what advice do you have for any young person listening to this show saying that, you know, Hey, I want to be a race car driver and it's more than glitz and glam. Like it's, what do they got to have? You, you gotta, you gotta be obsessed. Absolutely obsessed. Um, the, it's such a competitive sport that talent or uh, money or, you know, luck is, is, is only going to take you so far. My mentality was always, how do I make a difference in anything? It can be from the smallest, you know, smallest little thing of how I train at the gym to at what time I arrive to the track to how many minutes I slept the night before, like, the higher you go up the ladder, the more of these details everybody's looking at and the more competitive it is, it is and, and the harder you have to 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 try. So that obsessiveness is, is really the only way to do it. If you don't enjoy, I don't think enjoy is the right word because many times I don't enjoy, you know, waking up at 6 a.m., going to the gym, uh, going to the simulator for eight hours in a row. I'm not cheering of happiness. But I enjoy the process and I enjoy what that brings me, you know, and I enjoy what I have become due to that sacrifice and that effort. Um, but really, you have to be, you have to be fully committed. And, and you know, it, yeah. like you said, the, the motorsports F1 in particular is so much glitz and glamour and yeah. kids see that and like, oh my God, like. I want to be an F1 driver and party every weekend and uh, hang out with models and, uh, you know, being a yacht in Monaco. Like, I'm sorry to tell you guys, but that's not the reality. You know, that's maybe the 5% of the public things that F1 drivers are doing. Uh, the other 95%, they're grinding, they're busting their ass in the gym. They're, you know, do, talking with sponsors, uh, doing things that they don't enjoy doing. And just for that 1% difference. So, um yeah, just just work really, really hard. Who who is your most trusted person around you? This is you're getting to the level of call it stardom, where people start kind of surrounding you 
the yes men surround you the or yes women or whatever but like you're you you start to hit a bubble of like it's the jm show and like everybody wants a piece of something you know like who who is your like who's your compass that keeps you okay yeah uh not just him uh but i mean me me and my dad we're 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 tight like we we, we're really uh he is my compass for a lot of of the racing stuff i like to say i like to think that i'm his compass for a lot of the business stuff you know sometimes he calls me up for advice on (laughs) things he's dealing with in his company and i tell him look i have no idea what you're talking about but this sounds like this is what you need to do and um and and he always tells me like damn like you always you know exactly you know you understand me so and it's the same with me so um i i have started to get a feel of that bubble that, that you're talking about which is something sort of new to, to me but it's it's not a surprise you know so i have people that that i trust um i have a very good radar on 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 what people want and the, the, the true intentions behind everybody um and you just gotta you know keep keep the ball rolling always be true to yourself don't get don't don't get caught up in in that bubble yourself and that's why i i stopped you uh before when you said you know you're basically there like no, you're not. You're, you're, I'm still in F2. <laughs> uh, F1 is, is a big step away. It's one step, but it's a big step away. And uh, I'm, I, I don't consider myself a, a star or anything even close to that. Um, so I just keep myself grounded. And if I see that the people around me are less grounded than me, that's immediately a red flag of like, okay, that's, <laughs> that's not who I, I want to be associated with. <laughs> uh, we're... Where does this resilience and just, I don't know, perseverance come from? Like, how did, how is this created? It's rare, man. It is so I, rare in people these days. And I don't know. I mean, you got it. I don't know. I, um, I think probably a, a mix of maybe genes, you know, I have two very resilient parents, but it's, what's that, what, what is it, what, what they call like uh, the difference between uh, how a person is due to their genes or due to the experiences they had, they had there's a term to that, you know, I, I don't know how that compares within myself. I can just tell you from like how I was brought up uh, that is probably most of it. Um, and, and then personality, just competitiveness, having that chip on your shoulder. Like I'll, I'll give you a really good, uh, example. So I have a younger brother. He's 19 years old. The smartest person I know, no joke. Like this guy, anything he, he gets into be it video games, uh, studying or even sports. He's so coordinated. Like, I always tell him he's 10 times more talented than me at any sport, including racing, including racing. Mm-hmm. If he would have chosen racing, I'm sure he would have been more talented than me. Um, but he doesn't have the same personality that I have of like just being so freaking competitive and like 
putting your mind to something and like not being able to sleep until you do that. So he tried karting when he was like six or seven years old. And he, he just told my parents, look, like this is cool, but nah, you know, whatever. Yeah. I don't care if I win. I don't care if I lose. Um, and, and now he's, he's studying and, uh, you know, he's, I always tell him like, you better, you better be successful. because <laughs> if I don't make it in racing, you're gonna, <laughs> you're gonna have to pay my bills and I'm sure you're gonna make a lot of money. You're so smart. So he's, he's my, my plan B. Um, but, um, I guess a lot of it is just personality. You know, I was, you can ask my parents when I was already like three, four years old, everything was a competition. Like who could shower the fastest, who could eat their food the fastest, who could run the fastest. Like I was just like always looking for that, uh, satisfaction of, of, of being the best at something or, or yeah, beating other people. So I think a lot of it comes from that too. This is just a stupid dad comment. In a wrestling match, who wins? You or your dad? Now. Me. Me. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's strong. Um, I don't know if he's stronger than me. I, I'm pretty pretty strong now. But just his cardio wouldn't last, you know. After, after a couple minutes tossing, he, he would be out of breath. <laughs> yeah, but we haven't tried it. I, I, hope, I hope it doesn't get to that. <laughs> my, my son's like six feet tall, so he's probably six inches tall. Well, he's probably four inches taller than I am. And, mm -hmm. you know, he just, he'll lift weights and he'll be like, dad, check, check my guns out. You know, he's like, he's like, I'm so much taller and bigger than you are. And I'm like, yeah, but you can't take me. Oh yeah. You know, how, how so old much, is he? he's 16. So, wow. So he's, he's really he's, tall. Wow. Yeah. 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 He's very, very tall. Um, very athletic, but dad's still <laughs> got more fight inside of him so <laughs> yeah well you know experience experience means a lot in, in everything you do yeah <laughs> well seriously jam thank you for coming on i like i i mean that from the bottom of my heart like i really appreciate when people take time to come on a show and tell their story because you you do you have an amazing story and you know you've got you've got a very impressive personality and i'm around a lot of young people and a lot of people in the business world and those are rare qualities that you carry it's going to take you a long way and you know whatever whatever we can do to help you get there you know we're here for you um you know if you ever want to come back on the show and ask for something come do it um you know i I always say we're we're completely open. I still text and email every guest that I've had on the show. And uh, you know, if you're ever at a race, if you're in Austin, you know, definitely hit me up and love to shake your hand, meet you in person and uh just thank you. I I really appreciate it. You're busy, busy, busy. And we're just a we're just a little passion project here. So No, no, no. On on, on the other hand, the uh thank you thank you this has honestly been one of the best podcasts I've, I've had really really cool um i think we we understand each other a lot on, on the business side as well so that's nice and uh really my, my pleasure um I, I will exchange uh, numbers with you and we'll be in touch and i'm sure i'm gonna meet you in person later this year so yeah awesome thanks for having me thank you for all the listeners uh to all the american fans i hope you enjoyed it uh follow my season in f2 and uh yeah, we'll we'll be in touch, and I, I would love to be back. Yeah, I got a I got a dog in the F two fight now. Let's go. Yeah, you you gotta you gotta follow it, and uh, 
I don't know if you've seen a lot of F2 races, but the, the show is incredible. Like, uh, you'll, be, you'll be entertained for sure. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I've actually, I've been following the, um, what is it, Catch the Dream? Or Chasing, yeah, the, Chasing Dream. the Dream, yeah. Yeah, that that's a that's a good show. I I wish they would send that to Netflix or something and get some real airtime. But yeah, um, it is like it's buried in this app, and and I did find it. I try to promote it on social media, but it's uh it needs a lot more airwaves. It's it's like I told you, F two F two is a work in progress. I think as a series, it has potential, but um, it, it needs a, a little bit of push. So yeah, but. It'll it'll get there. It'll get there. All right. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. I gotta jump onto a sales call actually. So All right. Good luck. Good luck with that and we'll we'll be in touch. Take take care. All right. I appreciate it. Bye.